The Church, in its history, has had a reputation for mistreating the Jewish community. However, there have been bright spots of those that went against the grain. Seventeen hundred years ago, St. Jerome was one of those bright spots in the history of relations between the Church and the Jewish people. Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover. With me is our host and teacher, Chris Katolka. And Steve, you're spot on. The the church in its past, it persecuted Jewish people physically. Uh, It spread lies about their religious practices. It was called the blood libels. And the church even murdered Jewish people uh, in the past. But today on the program, we're actually going to focus on St. Jerome because Dr. Bill Krusen recently uh, did a whole dissertation, a, a book called Jerome and the Jews, Innovative Supersessionism. And he highlights how Jerome was an influential theologian who really went against the grain, as you said, and worked to build ties with the Jewish community that he worked with right in Bethlehem. Well, we look forward to having Dr. Krusen with us. In the news, a French imam recently said something out of the ordinary about Israel and the Jewish community. Hassan Shalgoumi, currently heading a delegation of French Muslims in Israel, said that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism and blamed the Muslim Brotherhood for incitement against Jews in France and Belgium. Shalgoumi believes anti-Zionism is just a mask to make anti-Semitism more palatable and polite. The thing that's interesting about this is that Shalgoumi is a, a French imam. He's Muslim. And you can see right away when he talks about the fact that he's that he believes that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, what he's saying is this. People who hate Israel are actually just trying to use politics to spread lies about the Jewish people. That's called anti-Semitism, the hatred of Jewish people. And, you know, I actually think this, this guy is spot on. He is really changing minds. I love that he's leading delegations to Israel to open other Muslims' minds about the good that Israel is doing. And and I think he's spot on when he says that those who speak negatively about Israel also want to see Israel wiped off the map. And this is just blatant anti-Semitism. I'll tell you this, the world needs more Hassan Shagumis. Our mission statement is that we are a worldwide Christian ministry that communicates biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people. We really value making sure that the Jewish community knows that they have a friend, uh, that they have someone they can count on here at the Friends of Israel. We want to show the side of the Christian community that loves and supports uh, the Jewish people in, in good times, and in bad times. And uh, you know what, though? There's been uh, moments, actually long moments in church history, where the church kind of failed at being a great representation of Jesus Christ to the Jewish community, uh, to, to be a, a witness for Jesus in the Jewish community, to show the love of Christ to, Ju- to the Jewish community. This goes back several thousand years, actually. And so uh, that's why today I wanted to bring uh, Dr. Bill Krusen, who is not only uh, one of my previous professors, but a dear friend. Dr. Krusen is professor at Karen University School of Divinity in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, and he also serves as a pastor in in Chelton, Pennsylvania at the Church of Hope. And I, I, I really wanted to bring um, Dr. Cruz in here. I'm going to call him Bill from now on because uh, he wrote an amazing book 
uh, it was your dissertation um, called Jerome and the Jews Innovative Supersessionism, which looks at a figure in church history named Jerome and his unique relationship with the Jewish community um, um, uh, back about 1600 years ago. And so I, I think you're going to be blessed. Bill, great to have you on the program. It's great to be here, Chris. This is exciting. This What we're looking at is actually your dissertation, right? Yes, but I don't want to scare people away with that. It just means that I learned a lot about this man named St. Jerome and his relationship to the Jewish people. And it's certainly not something that should stay in a dusty doctoral dissertation. That's right. Uh, First of all, who is Jerome? Could you share with us about that? Yeah, Jerome was uh, an early Christian leader. He was born about 300 years after Jesus' death. Now think about that. When we think about being a Christian, we can look back on 2,000 years of church history. He could only remember 300 years, which is a really short window of time. He grew up, he was a rebellious teenager, like most of us were, and he came to faith in Christ, and he wanted to give himself to a full-time, dedicated life. And back then, um, many men and women gave up traditional families and they served the Lord in monastic communities, which meant he gave up getting married and he gave up secular employment. He just wanted to study the Bible, pray, and help other people do the same. Interesting. What was the relationship like at that time between the church and the Jewish community? What theologically and even, you know, as they related with one another? That's a great question, because in the year roughly 350, which is when he's he's born in his early life, the church has had almost 300 years of becoming Gentile. Mm -hmm. The church was born in a Jewish womb. And in the book of Acts, you see that. But as more and more Gentiles believed in Jesus, sadly, they became anti-Jewish in their way of thinking about who they were as Christians. So you could call it the Gentilization of the church. It began in the 100s. It got even developed more in the 200s. And this was the air that Jerome breathed in the 300s. And this was embedded in the culture and the church culture at that time. How did that get worked out? And what what was a relationship like if you had to put some flesh to it? What would a relationship be like between the Jewish community and the Christian community? Was there one? If it was a relationship, it was a fractured relationship. And you can see it, you know, obviously we can't go back and figure out what the average Christian said or did, but the leaders wrote things that we have today. And sadly, when you read the way they wrote and talked about Jewish people, we would call it anti-Semitism at its worst. Which is the hatred of Jewish people. Yes. And with language that today would make us blush, they were called the Christ killers, And um, they were considered rejected by God and replaced by the new Israel, the true Israel, which was the Christian church. And this is called replacement theology at its core. Yes. What we call replacement theology means that the Christian church totally replaces the Jewish people in God's program. Mm-hmm. The fancy way to say that is supersessionism. How does that word get tied up into replacement theology? It's it's basically the same, but just like we would say uh, the iPhone 10 supersedes the iPhone 
eight, mm-hmm. uh, it replaces it. Right. It supersedes it. So it's it's better now in some way, right? Yeah. Okay. Right. But that's 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 a wrong way of looking at the scriptures. And and I actually in your dissertation, I, I love the way in your book, I love the way that you you kind of build this bridge with Jerome because Jerome has an interesting relationship with the Jewish community. He kind of stands in between. Can you tell us, doesn't Jerome make his way to Bethlehem? Yes. Actually, the reason I wrote the book was because Jerome did something that hardly anybody was doing in his time, namely reaching out to Jewish people, not as best friends, but at least reaching out to them in three ways. Number one, he said, it's the Jewish Bible written in Hebrew that is the Christian Bible. That's right. And so he translated into Latin, we call it the Latin Vulgate, from the original Hebrew. And you say, well, what else was there? Well, there was a Greek translation called the Septuagint that all the other Christians thought was the God-inspired Old Testament. And he got a lot of flack for that too, didn't he? Oh, he did. But he kept going. He kept moving forward. I mean, we're talking about, he interacted with major Christian leaders in the church like Augustine, right? Exactly. And he, they, they did not like the fact that he was using the Hebrew scriptures, right? Right. That was a pollution. How dare you go back to the, the vile Jewish documents? Tell me, too. You called it Hebrew truth, I believe, in your book? That's what Jerome yeah. says. That's his phrase. He says, I go back to the Hebrew truth. And he kept saying that, and eventually he persuaded the whole church. Did he really? Yeah. That's in, So that was one thing he translated. You said there were two other things as well. Yes. The second thing he did was write commentaries, Bible commentaries. So when he wrote commentaries on Old Testament books, not only did he refer to earlier Christian commentaries written in the 200s and the 100s, but he went back to Jewish rabbis who also commented on, let's say, the book of Genesis, and quoted them in preference to the Christians. Interesting. And boy, did he get flack for that, too. So so first, he's translating the Hebrew scriptures, which no one else is doing in the church at that time, for the most part. Right. Um, and, and then at the same time, he is using Jewish sources for understanding old the Old Testament and, and using Jewish sources to understand how to better read the Old Testament. Is that true? Exactly. Not just using them, but preferring them over Christian ones as well. <laughs> what was the last one? He actually moved from what we we would call the Roman Empire in the West to the Roman Empire in the East. He left Constantinople and founded a monastery in Bethlehem where Jesus was born. And that's where he did the bulk of his writing and translating. Overall, how would you say Jerome was influential in building that bridge between the Jewish community and the Christian community that just didn't exist at that point? I think the first thing somehow he learned and saw that the Jewish people were not totally rejected and cut off because in his commentaries, he looks to Romans 11 with hope that someday all the Jewish people will be saved when Jesus returns. Mm -hmm. He says that time and time again. Mm -hmm. And I think it was because of that future hope that it gave him a present bridge to build to Jewish people where they taught him Hebrew, they loaned him books and scrolls, and they helped him understand what they thought the Old Testament meant. Didn't he show didn't he show priority to Bethlehem as well? He really came to love Bethlehem. He 
looked at Bethlehem almost like the new Jerusalem compared to the city that was only five miles away in his day. (laughs) And there were other dynamics going on. He disagreed with other church leaders in Jerusalem and so forth. But he translated uh, into Latin a Bible atlas that was written a hundred years before. And it's an alphabetical listing of all the places uh, that Eusebius had actually written to help Christian pilgrims find their way around the Holy Land. We had just done an episode not too long ago uh, that stemmed from your book, actually, on Christian pilgrimage in Israel, dating back to this period, how people were making their way into the Holy Land, and that there were actually even maps to help them get around from place to place. My my guest today is uh, Dr. Bill Krusen. Um, We're talking about Jerome, St. Jerome, uh, from about 16, 1700 years ago, and his impact um, on the Christian community and on the Jewish community. And when we come back from our break, we're going to continue our discussion. Um, Bill's going to talk about innovative supersessionism. So don't leave when you hear that word, because you got to hear what it means, because that's his term that he uses in his, in his book. But then we're going to ask the question, so what? What does this mean for us today? So be sure to stick around. We've been learning today about Jerome, an influential early church scholar. When Jerome ministered, one of the earliest accepted teachings in church history was that the church had replaced Israel, which is called replacement theology. Sadly, replacement theology still remains in the church today. The roles of Israel and the church in God's program for humanity have been a point of fervent disagreement. Well, why is there so much confusion? The answer is life-changing, and you can find it in the Bible. And in Dr. Michael Vlock's book, Has the Church Replaced Israel? Find out what God has revealed to humanity. With this resource, you can trace the development of replacement theology, the New Testament passages concerning Israel's future, and the biblical evidence for God's plan for the salvation and restoration of Israel. To order your copy of Has the Church Replaced Israel by Dr. Michael Vlock, visit foiradio.org, that's foiradio.org, or call our listener line at 888-343-6940. That's 888-343-6940. Bill, in your book, Jerome and the Jews, you use the phrase innovative supersessionism. Can you smooth that thing out for us and help <laughs> us understand what it means? It's a way of saying that Jerome built bridges to his Jewish friends and the Jewish community in ways that were new and unproved in his day in the 300s. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, baseline, he was doing something different in, in, in Christian culture at that time. Right. Even though he believed that the church replaced Israel. That never went away for him. No, it didn't. Uh, but somehow it seeped through that God was not finished with the Jewish people. And even though one day all Israel will be saved, you could say that even now the Jewish people serve God and God's people in ways that are yet unexplored. Mm -hmm. Uh, So here we go. This is the big question. You know, all of your research, uh, all of the knowledge that you gained in writing this book, putting all the pieces together, which was really, really well done. uh, What does this mean for the church today? How, How do we take what we've learned about Jerome and apply it to the church today as well? 
Yeah, we've come a long way in 1,700 years, right? The, the major world event that changed everything in this regard is the Holocaust. Mm. So if you look on one extreme, many, quote, Christians in Christendom say now, because of the Holocaust, we cannot say that the Jewish people are any different than we are as Christians. And there is like a 180 on supersessionism. So it's actually like a dirty word in mainline Protestant and Catholic circles. Um, on the other hand, there are still some Christians and even evangelical Christians that would hold Jerome's view, maybe with less meanness, but they would still say, yeah, the Jewish people forfeited their opportunities when they rejected the gospel, and the Christian church is the new Israel, period, end of statement. Um, my view is that there's a middle view, there's a middle way here, and it's the way that Paul sees it in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, where he has a broken heart as a Jewish man for his Jewish friends. He wants them to know Jesus, but he also knows that they still represent God's faithful promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that promise is wrapped up in the faithfulness of God. So ultimately, in the end, there is a unique connect. What you're saying is that there's a middle road. There's a, an understanding that the covenant promises to Israel still matter. Right. You know, a hundred years ago, someone who is not a Christian wrote this little poem that I've not forgotten. How odd of God to choose the Jews, but not so odd as those who choose the Jewish God and hate the Jews. So this ambivalence that many people have of, well, I want to believe in Jesus. I want to believe in the New Testament. Do they realize that Jesus was Jewish and the New Testament was largely written by Jewish men? We have a Jewish faith. And I've said, everything about me is Jewish, except my body. Right. I have a Jewish heart. That's right. And so I want to be able to have Paul's impulse of loving Jewish people. Why? Well, first of all, they're created in God's image, but secondly, God chose them in perpetuity to bring his shalom, his peace, his reconciliation to the world. Yes. I love that passage in Romans where it says, it talks about the idea that through their rejection, reconciliation, Romans 11, reconciliation has come to the world. But the idea that what more is yet to come with their acceptance, their belief in the coming Messiah, uh, Jesus, their belief, but life from the dead. There is still this great anticipation yet to come. That's right. And that's why in Romans 11, Paul says, even though the Jewish people may not believe in Jesus as a nation now, they are still loved on account of the patriarchs mm -hmm. for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. I think we should end it there, Bill. What do you think? Well, the story goes on, but I wish I had more time. I know, and we'll have to do it again. But my, right. for our listeners, we've been talking with Dr. Bill Krusen, and where can our listeners get their your book if they're interested? You can Google the title, Jerome and the Jews. It's available online on Amazon or your book purchaser of choice. That's great. Thank you very much for being on the program with us today. Thanks so much. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. 
few days ago, I went to Bethlehem to visit an injured Arab friend. All of his family and friends were there. At first, the conversation was about general matters, but then someone remarked, When God created Eve, he deceived and desecrated Adam by putting him to sleep and robbing him of his rib to make a woman. Apparently, already back then, God was on the side of the Jews. I did not understand the logic of this statement. Soon the people became more excited, and I could not get in a word. Sensing the fanaticism and bitterness, I decided to leave. But the head of the house became hostile and prevented me from going. I said, I came here to visit a fellow worker who was injured, and to treat me like this, shame on you. This is not at all in the Arab tradition of hospitality to a guest. My words apparently had a sobering effect on them, especially when I said in Arabic, God is one and he is for all people without exception. When God created mankind, there were no Jews, no Arabs, no other nationalities. But when man sinned, he soon learned to hate others and to kill People began to spread lies about each other and despise each other. For instance, you have been told the Jewish people have horns and tails. But you live among us, and you can see that we are the same kind of people as you are. In fact, we are your relatives through Abraham. Over time, the children of Abraham began to hate and persecute one another. They lacked mercy and compassion until the time came when the Father in heaven sent his salvation into the world. And where did that happen? Right here in this little town of Bethlehem. Here was born the one whom you call Isa, and the Jews call Yeshua. And all the world knows of Jesus. This Jesus brought to all people forgiveness of sins and eternal salvation and he taught us to love one another. The eldest man present remarked, How amazing! I thought the Jews hated Jesus, but you defend him. Are you really a Jew? I replied, Yes. We who believe in Jesus are completed Jews. I came to see you because Jesus put love into my heart and told me to come see you. Jesus told us how to love our enemies. One of the men said, We all respect you for what you believe, but we cannot agree with one thing. This Isa was a prophet, but Muhammad was the greatest of all prophets. I showed them from the scripture that the Lord Jesus Christ was the one promised in the Old Testament. I explained that the New Testament tells us how he brought love into the world in contrast with the Quran which says in Surah 190, Hate your enemy, kill him wherever you find him. They looked at each other perplexed and could not answer me. I then read John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The eldest man began to cry. He walked over to me, embraced me, kissed me, and said, Thank you very much. You taught us a great lesson today. We have so much to learn, especially about love. This 
is so strange to us. As we close today's program, I want to remind you to purchase a copy of Dr. Michael Vlock's book, Has the Church Replaced Israel? Go to foiradio.org, that's foiradio.org, or call us at our listener line at 888-343-6940. Again, that's 888-343-6940. Chris, any closing thoughts before we leave today? Yeah, you know, we've been talking about the fact that the church has had a, a past that that really persecuted Jewish people. And I think it's important for us to look back on church history so that today, as evangelicals who are Bible-believing Christians, we can look back on what happened in the past so that we don't make those mistakes again, so that we can look forward and understand what the Bible says. God has a future for Israel and the Jewish people, and we stand on those promises. They're biblical promises. Our host and teacher is Chris Katolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Galeone, co-written by Sarah Fern and Jesse King, Mike Kellogg read Apples of Gold, and our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.